Hey, welcome back to the Ottawa studios of Inside My Canoe Head. This day, we are going to talk about timeline. How do you choose how long to prepare for? Interesting question. We're going to talk about the basis of it and the background. So sit back, grab yourself your favorite beverage. Let's get at her. All right, welcome. Listen, thanks again for dropping by and listening to us here at Inside My Canoe Head. Listen, I appreciate all the messages coming in. Keep keep dropping those hints, what you'd like to see. DM me on any of the social media. If you don't know where we are, drop over to www.insidemycanoehead.ca. All our links are there to all our socials. Drop me a line at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca or just pop on and give us a great review. Whatever you feel like doing, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to us. So today we want to talk about the timeline. You know, the idea you've accepted responsibility for your outcomes. You've realized that if you wish to adopt a prepared life, nobody's going to do it for you. There isn't a magical downloadable PDF. There isn't a short little video to watch from your government agency that's going to solve all of your problems. You know that to develop a personal preparedness plan for yourself, by yourself, is the only strategy that has proven in research and significant evidence to be successful. That's how it's done. Don't take somebody else's plan, superimpose it on your family, and believe that you're somehow going to achieve the same outcome. Life doesn't work that way. That's why we give you the guideline here at Inside My Canoe Head, Uh, on how to do these things. We walk you through, we put these episodes out to give you the guidelines and the structure for what the work has to be done. And it's not a lot of work. It's just you, a pencil, some paper, and some quiet time. And in the end, it very much likely will mean zero expenditure in money and finance. Preparedness does not have economic barriers, despite what you hear from your government. So where do we start with this? Well, this is a foundational thought. This is a principled piece of your entire preparedness plan. And it answers the simple question. How long do you want to be able to provide the animalistic requirements of food, water, shelter, health, safety, and security for you and those that you love without access to any government services or critical infrastructure? Simple question. How long do you want to be prepared for? Well, if you're new to preparedness, you might think that we're going to throw a dart at the wall because right now the logic that's out there is about as, as, as fulsome as that. How do you pick this timeline? How, what number of days? Everybody will say, well, like forever. Well, that's great. But I don't know about your financial situation. And I don't know about your household situation. But storing a forever amount of food in the basement might need mean you need another basement, if you know what I mean. Like the logic behind it to be prepared for anything and forever is a great moniker, right? It sounds really, really cool. But the reality of it is, Is it helpful to have a year's worth of food or is it helpful to have 72 hours worth of food? Well, the question why it meets for you, what makes sense for your family, that's why we're here today. So before we dive into that, let's talk about how is society organized? Like, why is this a thing that we need to worry about? Well, 
for the vast majority of the listeners here, uh, we all live in modern, engaged, online, and technologically enabled societies, right? They function in, in miraculous ways um, that, that, the, that your grandparents or, or, or your great-grandparents uh, never could have imagined, right? If you just think about it, everything around us just seems to operate, right? You turn on the tap, water comes out. You flush the toilet, things go away. You put your garbage at the end of the driveway, it disappears. You go wait at the bus stop, the bus shows up. The lights are working, the streets are plowed. Um, You know, society just wonders. You turn on the internet and it's there. You turn on your TV and it's there. Uh, You pick up your cell phone to text somebody and guess what? You have a signal. Like, we live in this expectation that all of these modern, incredible, great things they just work. And so we adopt lifestyles, rightfully so. We leverage technology, and I'm all about leveraging technology. We do all of these things with the expectation that every morning we get up, every one of these systems are going to be running. So if you think about modern society as a table with 10 legs, the reason there's 10 is because we have something called critical infrastructure. And critical infrastructure are those systems, facilities, technologies, networks, assets, and services that keep society running. Now, the government of Canada, where I live, has broken this down into 10 sectors of CI. The U.S. government uses 16. Other governments will use a different number. The number is not the point. The point is, is that each one of these legs operate below the table, which means they're below your sight line. You don't see them. You don't worry about them. You just carry on with your day and they hold up society. And so if if normal operations continue, it doesn't matter to you. So these 10 sectors of critical infrastructure are the food system, energy and utilities, finance, government, health, information and communications technology, manufacturing, safety, transportation, and water. So each one of those systems operate independently and coordinated with each other, and the energy and utilities generally supports all of the others in allowing the modern society to function, right? Here in Canada, if you want to dive deep into this, get on to Canada.ca and Google the National Strategy for critical infrastructure. So it's a government document. It's exceptionally well-written. It's written in concert and in line with Canada's emergency management framework, which is also available online through Public Safety Canada or at the Canada.ca. And the idea behind this, if you if you really want to nerd out and read, is you understand how the government sees this, how and why they've organized these systems together. And the reason that's important to understand is because Significant disruptions, what I refer to here, or emergencies happen when one or more of these critical infrastructure elements or sectors fail. That's how you have an emergency. So in in the disaster and emergency management literature, emergencies are things that occur that cause you to disrupt your normal operations, but they are within your capability to manage, right? So your day goes pear-shaped, something goes wrong, you, you get a fender bender, the power goes out, like you're able to handle it. it, it cheeses you off, it's not a good day, but you can handle it. Significant disruptions are 
when the CI fails, the critical infrastructure element, one or more fail. And it's going to be different for each family and your circumstances, right? Because we're going to talk about exposure in a little bit, but think about your exposure. If your mode of transportation is public transport, right? If you use the bus and the train and the subway system, wherever you use, if that's your mode of transport, and the public sector shuts down the transportation system, the public transportation system in a city, it may be pretty much a significant event. If that's how you get to and from work, if it's too far to walk, I mean, it, it presents a significant disruption to your life, something that's going to cause significant problems for you and your family. But if I drive my car every day to work, it, it, it's it's nothing to me other than the fact there's going to be a whole lot more cars on the work on the road for people that used to take public transit and not. But the disruption level is going to be different, right? So coordinated public sector and private companies, they plan to restore that's those sectors to normalcy. And the reason I include private companies because some parts of this country and in other countries, your utilities and other supporting critical infrastructure is owned by private industry. Now, they have very, very tight agreements with the public sector on restoring them. They have every interest in restoring them as quickly as possible. So you understand that each one of these 10 sectors of critical infrastructure have a coordinated plan to restore it, right? So that varies depending on both the ownership of the CI, whether it's singular or owned by many pieces, and your local capability. You may live in an area where there's just not a massive amount of public sector resources. So things may be down for a little bit longer than they might be in a massive urban area, right? So that's just understanding your place that you live and the support structure you have. So risk. Understanding your risk is important. At the national and the public sector level, it's assessed by the department. Now, if you want to look at the risk methodology of the government of Canada, that's available as well through, if you look at their Sendai framework and their disaster risk reduction methodologies that are used at the national level. The reason I mention that is research and evidence tells us that at the individual and household level, we want to be referring to disaster impact reduction and not disaster risk reduction. The reason that matters is because for us, the impact is the loss of the CI. We're not um, invested individually in all of the work that's being done to reduce the risk to the CI, which is what disaster risk reduction is all about. We're, current, we're concerned with what is my plan and what is the impact when, for whatever reason, we don't care, that sector of critical infrastructure fails, right? So we worry about your risk. And the reason your risk is individual is it can be codified and measured through your exposure and dependency on critical infrastructure. So this is like a cascading set of circumstances. So if you understand how society is organized, the table with the 10 legs, right? You're on top of that table, enjoying your wonderful, coordinated, technologically enabled life, running around and rocking an incredible life. As we say here at Inside My Canoe Head, you are rocking an incredible life. One of those table legs fails. 
what happens to your life. This is understanding your exposure to and your dependency on. Which one of these elements of CI pose a higher degree of risk? So this is you sitting back and reflecting on each of the 10 sectors of critical infrastructure and looking at how reliant you are on each one of those based upon the way you live your life. Your family lives their lives, how you get around, how much you depend on the government, how much you depend on the financial network, the transportation network, the food network, the safety network. How critical is your life to having access to technologically and communications? Like all of this, this, this isn't complicated. It's just taking a second and a few minutes really to assess your exposure to each one of these CIs to understand how dependent you are on it. And then therefore you can picture what your world would look like with this element of critical infrastructure failing. The reason that is all of that understanding your risk informs your family preparedness plan. Now, when the CI fails, the restoration how long is it going to take the public sector or the public sector and private sector in, co in cohorts uh, to restore that sector of CI? As a prepared person, the recommendation we make here at Inside My Canoe Head, based upon all of the latest evidence, is 14 days preparedness. And the reason that is, is research shows that 14 days is the outside edge of the current spectrum of response and recovery timelines for all but total destruction of the piece of critical infrastructure. Now, the national strategy, as I mentioned before, calls for you and your family to be ready for 72 hours. Now, 72 hours, and we've done an episode on this before, the logic and thought process behind 72 hours is one, because People will individually look at it as achievable. It won't provide a barrier. Uh, it won't seem too difficult to achieve, and then people will become apathetic and avoid it. And as well, 72 hours on average is the most favorable outcome, not the necessarily the normalcy outcome. So for singular failures of critical infrastructure, the average in North America is on or about 72 hours. However, if you have cascading effects of a critical infrastructure and you want to be responsible for your outcomes, we always recommend and continue based upon the evidence, like I say, is 14 days because 14 days represents the outside probability distribution of the restoration of a piece of critical infrastructure to pre-event operating standards, which means you, by adopting a 14-day timeline, are saying to yourself, you want to be prepared for the entire spectrum, probability spectrum, of the restoration of that piece of critical infrastructure other than total destruction. And I say that because that's a prepper. Right, That's adopting a prepper mentality moves you into the total destructive aspect. And we've talked about it again on a previous episode. Look back through all our episodes. We've got one. So you want to be a prepper, eh? 
because that's where you cross into a prepper, where you become capable of providing your own element of CI. So basically, you, in, as a prepared individual, which is the third out of five levels on the preparedness scale, you've adopted up to 14 days, but you expect that the critical infrastructure will be restored. The fourth level of preparedness is becoming a prepper. That individual is somebody who adopts the ability to replace an element of CI in the long term, expecting and planning for total destruction of a critical infrastructure. We, If you're going to adopt a prepared life, we're not recommending that you're planning for, as a standard state, the total destruction of critical infrastructure. We're talking about a disruption of a significant nature. You plan for it. By planning for 14 days, you will very easily and without question be able to cover the normal distribution outcome of 72 hours. So that's your response timeline for all but total destruction. So your timeline drives your plan. Whatever timeline that you decide is appropriate for your family and that you feel comfortable with then becomes the foundation for when you start the review of your animalistic requirements. And we cover this in our book that's available at at, uh, InsideMyCanoeEd.ca. It's called Preparedness Simplified, Book One, The Beginning. We talk about by defining your timeline, then you sit back and say, Say you take the 14 days, you take our advice and you you take the 14 days. Now you're going to take that timeline and reflect upon, okay, I am assuming responsibility for providing the animalistic requirements to the people that I love and those for who I am responsible, including your furry little friends, uh, for 14 days, right? On my own without access to CI. So that means... My home, because we always we always go for sheltering in place, that is our default position. So everybody is going to collapse and come back to the home in a significant disruption. And I am responsible for providing food, water, shelter, health, safety, and security for all of those individuals and pets for a period of 14 days. Now you're in a position to sit back and say, okay, let's now take the next step. And that step is when you have your timeline, you've got your 14 days, you've you've decided this is what you're going to do. You've made the commitment. Now you can do an assessment of your animalistic requirements, right? Now you're going to look at, hey, I'll give you a couple of quick examples. We go into this in far detail in in an earlier uh, episode on animalistic requirements. I have to be able to feed my family, right? So I, first of all, I need to have 2000 calories per human being and appropriate pet food for 14 days. You probably have that when you just add up the calories that are in your kitchen and you look at what's in your kitchen and your basic pantry and your fridge, you're probably going, you, you likely have more than enough to cover 14 days. And I mean, seriously, you do. The average North American family, uh, has 27 meals, um, at normal operating. So that's about nine days, but I'm thinking you're probably closer to 14, but you just do a quick assessment. If I had to, if immediately I had to start feeding everybody out of this kitchen, how, how long could I go with normal food? We're not talking about rationing food. That doesn't make any sense. But you remember when you do your assessments, that food is a system. So if you don't have any power, 
How do you intend to keep your food frozen? And how do you intend to keep your food in the fridge cold? That's a question that leads into a different discussion. Then you got to talk about how you're going to cook it. If you use a natural gas stove and your natural gas line is for some reason disrupted, or you use an electric stove and the power is out, how do you intend to cook your food? See, food is a system. Everything in your animalistic requirements is a system. We can see the same thing with water. Uh, If for some reason you get a boil water advisory, or there's a water main failure in your area and there's simply no water available to you for the next seven days until they can fix it, uh, where are you going to get your water from? Um, And then how are you going to make sure it's purified, right? How are you going to make sure it's safe to drink? Um, How are you going to get water to flush the toilet? How much water do you need to both flush the toilet and to drink for people? See, this is why the timeline is so critically important to determine and stick to because then it feeds and supports all of your follow-on discussions. So when you start going through your animalistic requirements in detail and you start looking at what the shelter for 14 days look like, listen, your, your home is your shelter, right? However, but what if your heat is off? What does that look like for 14 days? How are you going to stay warm? You probably have the appropriate clothes, probably not a big deal. But when you go through your animalistic requirements, that timeline is your foundation. And again, we're going to throw the caveat on that, that this is not total destruction, right? This is not total destruction of CI or total destruction of your house, right? We're making the assumption that this significant disruption allows your family to shelter in place in your home, even without CI, that your home is still capable. If your home is not capable, then we start talking about your evacuation plan, which we did a couple of episodes ago. Very popular episode on how to set up a family evacuation plan. But the idea of you taking time and investing and logically thinking through your timeline is very, very helpful. Now, you may come to 72 hours is happy for you. You may come to seven days. You may take our recommendation here at Inside My Canoe Head of 14 days. Or you may decide that, you know what, your risk tolerance is far lower. You're a risk adverse individual and you want to take that to 30 days. You want to be able to survive 30 days in your home without access to critical infrastructure. Well, fine. That's Listen, if, if that works for you, that's the point of doing an individual preparedness plan is it fits both who you're responsible for and your risk profile and as well your personal risk tolerance and your personal risk behavior. You put together 30 days makes sense for you. Now you're talking about 30 days food. You probably don't have that. So what does that world look like? Now how do you go forward and put the financial resources to bear? Do you buy an extra day's food every two weeks in a grocery shop. So over the next five months, it's really going to be a negligible cost, but you're going to move it to 30 days. Or are you just going to go out today and hit it up and add those extra two weeks of food to your pantry in one shot and get her done? Your financial wherewithal will determine that. Your way forward will determine that. But again, if you see the pronouns that I'm using, your, like, It's up to you to figure this out. That's why no downloadable plan or Yahoo off the internet that tells you, you got here are the top 10 things to stockpile, top 50, ridiculous, 
right? Build a plan off of you and your family and for the timeline you're comfortable with and then see how your current state reflects your animalistic requirements and then you have a plan and you're done. So hopefully this episode was helpful to you. You've now got at least the little light flickering in your brain that you've got to pick an individual timeline for which you feel comfortable and you want to be able to achieve. So thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us here at Inside My Canoe Head. Again, as I said earlier, please drop me a line. Give me all of your accolades, suggestions. And if you have a terse comment, please, I'd love to hear those as well. Drop over to any one of our socials. Drop me a line at jeff at preparedislabs.ca. And again, the book is available for purchase. And if you like what you hear and you don't want to purchase the book, but you just feel like buying me a coffee, go over to the Buy Me a Coffee link. I enjoy simple, plain, basic black coffee. So take care, stay safe, uh, and enjoy the ride that this awesome, incredible life is. Take care.